the number one thing that we kind of see lacking in candidates is their communication skills. As soon as you get that phone interview, you're already technically qualified for the job. But what sets people apart is their ability to communicate and to think through problems. Being involved in in different groups like Wiki, you can get exposure and experience with public speaking and writing. Those those things are things that you're going to use in any job. So really those soft skills are really important to do in addition to your classwork. And it's hard to set yourself apart just from your data science skills necessarily, but use whatever other background you have, whether it be chemical engineering or some other engineering or just other interests or passions. It's a good idea to get an internship first if you're going to go try and get into the consulting industry, for sure. It's okay if you make a decision and then you don't really like the outcome because then you can always pivot and figure out something new. Best things that chemical engineering teaches you is to view things of the, the whole system, you know, you're not just looking at one little part, you're looking at a whole system. And that can be applied in so many different industries, right? Whether that system is on the nanoscale or whether it's on, you know, an industrial refinery scale, applying that whole system view to whatever job you're in is something that's really valuable that chemical engineers bring to the table. Hey guys, welcome to Let's Talk Wiki USC. My name is Belinda Garana, and I'm a PhD student in chemical engineering at USC. Wiki USC stands for Women in Chemical Engineering at USC and provides professional development, community networking, and outreach for women in chemical engineering and their supporters. If you enjoyed those words of wisdom, keep listening because this special episode is chock full of great advice from our biggest wiki event of the year, our industry panel. So we're really lucky to have an amazing panel of chemical engineers tonight. Among just the four of these individuals, there's decades of experience in several industries. Um, biotech, consulting, process engineering, data science, management, material science. So this is a really great opportunity for all of us to uh, learn more about several industries. So actually, one of our panelists is an alum of our very own Warwick Family Department. So Christine, would you like to start us off by introducing yourself, um, your position, department, and company? Yeah, I'd love to get started. Um, so I'm Christine, and I just completed my PhD at USC with the Moore Family Department last summer, 2020. Um, and currently, I'm a principal systems engineer at Northrop Grumman. And Specifically, what I'm doing right now is running a small internal research and development program. Um, so I've relocated to Baltimore for the year, but looking to come back to LA in another year because I'm in a rotational program. Great. Um, Eric, would you like to go next? So hey everyone, I'm Eric. I am a process development scientist at Amgen. If you were here last year, um, you may have 
um, seeing me there as well. Um, so what kind of what I do is I work in early phase process development. So a lot of the stuff that comes out of research, we then get and we try to create, generate these scalable manufacturing processes. Um, and we also provide clinical material for um, clinical trials for um, all of our biolog biologics or our large molecule products. Um, I think one other thing I would say, I think supplies to most of the panelists is that, you know, we do not represent our companies. Everything we do say is our own opinion and not an opinion or, a, you know, a stated fact of our companies. Um, I just happen to work at, you know, Amgen and that's something that they kind of hammer home at us, especially if you're at a larger company. This is something they tell us all the time um, of how we represent ourselves and how we represent uh, the company externally. Of course, um, good to share with everyone. So Sherry, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure, definitely. Uh, Eric, thank you for that nice liability waiver that we all just agreed to, so perfect. Uh, my name is Sherry Schwarzer. I work as an environmental engineer with Langen Engineering and Consulting. Um, I work as a project engineer. I graduated from USC a long time ago, uh, almost a decade ago, and uh, originally I worked in the petroleum industry and then wanted to get into environmental, so I switched um, into the environmental side of oil and gas, and um, just looking forward to speaking with all of you. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize you're also an alum, Sherry. In a while, so no worries. Um, all right, Nicole, would you please introduce yourself as well? Of course. Yeah, so I'm Nicole Thompson. Um, I'm a data scientist at a company called Beyond Limits, and we really are focused on AI solutions for the industrial, for industrial applications. And a lot of it is oil and gas, um, which kind of is nice coming from a chemical engineering background, working in that kind of field. Um, but I did my undergrad and my graduate, my master's degree in chemical engineering. Um, I did my master's at UW and was involved with Wiki there. And Professor Nance was actually on my committee at one point. And so know her pretty well, really like her. <laughs> but I'm excited to talk to you guys tonight. Yeah, it's really hard not to like Professor Nance. She's just such a nice person. Yeah, I should probably say that I got my PhD from University of Washington as well in 2019, and Elizabeth was on my committee um, as well. Yeah, it's a small world. <laughs> it is a small world. All right, so um, just to start off, I'd love it if you guys could share what a typical day is like for each of you. So I guess, Christine, you can start again. Sure. Um, so in my current role, I'm basically completely remote and most of my day is emails and meetings. Um, it's interesting because thematically, a lot of it, a lot of what goes into running these types of research programs is connecting the right people um, with each other and with resources to be able to do their projects and do the things that, you know, they're trying to study. Um, so a lot of just talking with people, coming up with ideas of how we can do things better. Um, and on kind of on the side, what I like to do is build some uh, data visualization tools. So it's, it helps us like track how we're spending our money and um, yeah, how projects are moving along and things like that. That's really interesting. 
um, about how you're also doing data visualization. So Eric, would you like to add what your typical day is like? Sure. So I am a mix of on-site and work from home right now. And when we, especially in the biotech or in the pharma space, is that we do spend a lot of time looking at data. We do a lot of data validation, data integrity, um, because the FDA, you know, kind of dictates our lives. Um, but for us, instead of, it's not really more of a day-to-day -day for us. It's more of a month-to-month -month, um, because we have, our projects tend to be anywhere in the range of like a year to 18 months um, timelines for one project. So we'll have a month where we're in the lab a lot, and then we'll have a month where we're just crunching data, and then we have a month where we're doing kind of process scale-up design. So we don't have a really day-to-day, -day, just that you're stuck with something for about a month or a couple of weeks at a time. Um, so I guess kind of in the last few weeks, we just completed a manufacturing run. Um, so I was in the lab for a couple of weeks running bioreactors, and now we're crunching all the numbers and crunching all the data um, and doing some of the data analysis around it. So today is a bit of, bit of both. That's interesting how you can transition from the different phases and how your work can change over those months. So Sherry, what's your typical day like? So I laughed at this one. I saw this earlier as probably most people did, but um, typical day is really hard for me because it's just so project dependent. There are times where I'm entirely on site in the field in a desert site in the middle of nowhere for the entire day or for weeks. And then there are times when like right now I'm working from home um, as a lot of us are and probably will be for the next two weeks or so. So it, it just varies depending on the project. It could be in the fields, I could be um, doing soil, groundwater sampling, or I can be uh, working from home, emails, meetings, uh, just working with agencies to get everything approved. Okay, so a lot of variety as well. Right. Um, yeah. um, Nicole, how about you? Yeah, I'd have to second what Sherry's saying. I have a ton of variety in my day. And although I'm totally work from home as a data scientist, all we do is software. So everything that we do, we can do remotely, which is really nice, but it's still, my days are so different day to day and even like week to week um, where I'll do a good mix of like Python programming one day where it's total just programming Python and kind of doing our data cleaning and our feature extraction and working on that side of the AI stuff. And then other days or even just hour to hour, other hours I'll be researching new algorithms that we can apply to various projects that we have. And then um, even sometimes I'll be <clears throat> purely working with clients a lot and just scoping solutions. So my days are very, very, <laughs> no two days are the same, which is kind of fun. I like it a lot. Cool. So that leads me into my next question. What do you enjoy most about your job? Christine, you can start us off again. Yeah, sure. Um, I really like that it, my role gives me a high level view of kind of all of the interesting things that are being worked on across the company. So it's a really big company. And um, the reason I wanted to take this position specifically was because I just wanted to get a better picture of, you know, what are the interesting problems out there? Like, what do engineers like to work at, on at this company? Because um, I feel like prior to joining the company, I sort of had a vague idea of like, 
here's a couple things that I know about, but um, yeah, just being able to like get that really broad view and be able to work with really senior technical people. Um, yeah, that's been a really great experience that I think a lot of younger engineers don't always get the opportunity to have. Yeah, that's great that you are getting like a global view of like the company and how it runs. I think that sounds like it would be super useful down the road. So Eric, what about you? What do you enjoy most about your work? So I think something about our industry as a whole is that we just move so fast, um, especially with, the, with even with all the stuff that we have to do around the FDA. That's kind of the most annoying part though, um, is the FDA. But um, all, kind of the, all the other parts around is that how fast we move and kind of how we are on the cutting edge of, at least in terms of medicine, like large molecules and protein biologics. And, you know, that's always really exciting. Um, and even though what we do in my area is that we, even though we're five years away or seven years away from commercialization, right, you kind of get to see what's really coming through the pipeline and all the really interesting things that we're working on. Um, so, you know, for me, it's about the science. And of course, you know, at least personally, secondary is, you know, helping people, but, you know, it's because I've always been about doing cool science and doing really cool things. Um, and, you know, if you're able to help people on the way, you know, why not? Of course, that's a motivation for me as well. Definitely um, working in health research. So Sherry, what do you enjoy most about your position? Yeah, so I, there, I mean, there's a lot of things that I really like about what I do, but I would say that my favorite part about my current position and my current job is just the team I work with. I work with really great people. I get to teach new staff engineers how to work this industry. I work with higher ups in my company all the time and just having that exposure. Uh, so it, it, I think almost any job is it's really important that you have a good team and good people that you work with because that's your work environment, whether you're work from home or in the field, it's really important to have good people you work with. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely important to have a good work environment. Um, so Nicole, how about you? What do you enjoy most about your job? Yeah, I kind of have two things that come to mind. So the first one would be, I work at a, Beyond Limits is pretty much a startup. It's a large startup and we're growing really fast, but we're still very startup-y culture, which is probably why my days are so varied. I get to wear a ton of different hats. You know, some days I feel more like a project manager than a data scientist. Um, but I think that's one of my favorite parts of my job right now is kind of getting to see the big picture of the solutions that we're working on. Um, and getting to do a little bit of different roles at times. And then the second thing that comes to mind is I really, data science is such a broad field and there's so much active research going on and you know, all the different facets of data science and there's so many different models that are being developed all the time. So, you know, you're never, there's always something new to learn and there's always really interesting research going on. And so to be in an industry where I get to you know, learn about all of that great research and then also, you know, act kind of like a scientist and think, well, not kind of, act like a scientist <laughs> and look at this research and think how can we apply this to our problems and what research questions can we answer with these methods or what methods can we need to develop. That's really cool. But then in conjunction with the engineering brain that we all have of, you know, how do I make, how do I fix this problem, you know, of, 
this industry is having this problem and then what technologies can I apply to fix that? Um, so kind of combine that research and that engineering mindset into one is something that I really value in my job as well. Of course, I find that um, research is definitely exciting, you know, learning about all the new technologies out there. So it's good to know that you still get to enjoy that side even in industry. So on the flip side, what kinds of challenges do you guys face in your job? Um, Christine, can you start us off? Yeah, so I would say there, there are a couple things and it kind of goes hand in hand with a role where my day-to-day -day really is doing a lot of like emails and meetings. Um, so I would say it's really challenging. Like it's kind of like a dating app. Like in theory, you would think that pairing two people together with similar interests would be easy, but kind of being able to find um, people who work together well and being able to find, you know, someone who wants to sponsor them and fund them is non-trivially difficult. And so just being able to interact well with people and have a good sense of, um, you know, how can you bring these different people together with different interests? I would say it's, it's more difficult than it sounds like it should be. Right. I mean, you can't really know until you do it, right? So um, it's great to have um, those kinds of experiences if you can. So Eric, how about you? What kinds of challenges do you face? I think for us is that because when you're developing a drug is that you have so many different areas. So we have, we are called drug substance, which is the actual protein itself. And then you have characterization and formulation and all that and supply chain. And we have to plan all these things so far in advance is that there's just an endless amount of planning that needs to go into one of these projects. Even if it's, you know, 16 months down the road, we already have dates, you know, picked out for certain things that happen 16 months, 18 months down the road. So there's just a huge amount of planning going on and kind of planning for something that even you don't know what might happen, but you need to plan for 16 months from now. And then even when you go into preparing for commercial space, right, that's five years, you're already planning for the next five years if that product is able to, you know, make it through your clinical trials and you know, think about commercialization. So that's kind of one of the really big challenges, especially when the regulatory landscape changes as often as it does, um, that, you know, you're, you kind of, then your plans always get messed up within the first, you know, two months. So you're, you're doing all of this endless planning and then it changes in two months. So that's kind of one of the big challenges that we have uh, when it comes to our projects and kind of related to the speed that we go um, is that when you're training new staff is that it's, we don't have kind of guides for onboarding new staff is that because we're going so fast, we don't have time to um, kind of sit down our new staff and say, hey, this is what we need to do. Instead, as kind of one of my former managers would say is that it's like drinking water through a fire hose. Everything you learn in our in my job function is drinking water through a fire hose. So we just go super fast and that includes onboarding. Oh my gosh, wow. Um, well, it makes sense that project management might be um, much more important um, in biotech with the regulatory changes. So yeah, good to know that. Um, Sherry, what kinds of challenges do you face in your job? 
So I think the biggest one is actually echoing what Eric said about the changing regulatory landscape. Um, I work in environmental remediation. So we have these emerging contaminants all the time and the regulations are constantly changing. So you really have to stay on top of what the agencies are requiring and what, what we need to delineate to. Uh, so it's really just staying on top of what the regulatory agencies are doing and, and making sure you're ahead of the game, uh, which is not always the easiest thing to do. So you just have to be really like on top of it and, and talking to the right people, um, making sure that everyone knows about emerging contaminants and what you have to do. I, I would say that's probably the biggest challenge. And also because we work on so many different types of projects, you're, you might not be the expert in a specific area. So you have to make sure you're reaching out to experts in whatever project that you're working on at the time. So, you know, I might be an expert on oil and gas remediation, but I also work with airport PFAS remediation. So I have to reach out to those experts and make sure I have the right people on my team for the right projects. So those are kind of the biggest challenges. Yeah, that makes sense. That regulation is just tough to keep up with. Um, especially in those industries. So, um, Nicole, what about you? What kinds of challenges do you face? Yeah, so, I mean, there's quite a few technical challenges that I think every data scientist faces, and a lot of it kind of ties into what the rest of the panel's been saying, that you kind of have to keep up with your field, whatever it may be. Um, and, and data science, especially with how fast it's progressing, it can be difficult sometimes to keep up with the research. Um, but I think even the technical challenges aside, the greatest challenge that I face personally in my role is we, so at Beyond Lewis, we work a lot with clients. Um, well, all of our, all of our projects are client-based. So we essentially start with a client and we ask them what problems they're having or they come to us with a problem. And then, it, then we have to distill it down into a solution. So I think the biggest challenge for me in my role is taking this very ill-defined problem and then figuring out, like turning that into a research question or turning that into, um, you know, figuring out what kind of technologies we have to apply to their problem and solve it. Because uh, it's especially in the industries that we're working in that are highly, you know, we work in oil and gas and they're highly complex and highly technical. Um, and you're working with the experts in their fields and you're trying to distill their knowledge and they're trying to figure out what you're trying to offer. And so that knowledge exchange and getting to the bottom of a problem and really forming that research question or forming a solution is probably the hardest part of my role. Yeah, um, I would agree because I've definitely learned that communication is a big deal in uh, science and engineering. Yeah, so it's just good to know that you need to be ready for, you know, when you're trying to define a problem with the client or whatever your work is. So with that in mind, how did you know that your particular job was the right fit for you? Christine, can you start? Yeah, so this one's an easy one for me. Um, the role or the job offer that I accepted was for a three-year rotational program. So it's exactly for an indecisive person like me. <laughs> so I, I liked the idea of a rotation because you get a lot of exposure to different parts of the company and you get to really dig, dig into a role and 
learn a lot about that field. Um, and so I thought it would be cool to just, you know, be able to try, like to be able to try a few different things and just get more broad exp experience and exposure. Um, and then the reason I chose this first rotation, I think, like I mentioned, was it was just a really good way to get a high level view of the whole company. So I thought that was really cool. Great. Uh, Eric, what about you? How did you uh, know that your role is right for you? So mine's a little different. I got hired before COVID, so it's going to be a little different in you know, the whole process. But for me, is that I was just I was given the offer. So it's really it. Um, so Amgen gave me the offer and it was a, it was a good offer um, and a competitive offer. So that's kind of the thing. Um, but, you know, when you're kind of looking at the um, the position as a whole, right, when you're interviewing, I know this is not going to turn into like an interview 101, but or job application 101. But when you're kind of going through that process, you want to make sure that um, you're interviewing the company as well, right? They're interviewing you, you're interviewing the company. So it's a two way street. Um, so we, that way it, you want to feel comfortable with the company and the group that you're joining, right? Because the group is not ref necessarily reflective of the entire company. Um, so it was, you know, I was working with a good team. I had, you know, that group had really good company or group culture. Um, so, and of course, you know, the work that gets done. So when you take all of that together and the plus the fact that, you know, they decided that they want to pay me to actually do work, you know, not like in grad school where they don't really pay us a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> um, Right. So, I mean, it's, I know my answer is not like that broad overarching, I want to do good and, you know, that type of thing. Um, but especially in our industry is that the first thing you want to do is get your foot in the door um, in biotech or in pharma and then figure out you can go anywhere from there. So really that first job is that key one, get that first job and then figure out where you want to do and where you want to go. And so far, you know, I've been really happy here and looking to at least stay here for at least the short term. I guess um, since I didn't get the answer I was looking for. Um, I'll dig a little deeper and ask, why did you apply for a scientist role as opposed to like a more managerial role or any others you might have considered? Yeah, well, so I think coming out of grad school, right, even, you know, I'm still interested in the science, you're still interested in doing science. So that's kind of all the roles I applied to are, are still lab-based and science-based. And if you're going to be joining biotech and you're going to be joining the science side as a PhD, you're still going to be an individual contributor. You're not going to be a manager. Um, that's some, that's when you climb the career ladder. Um, if you want to be a project manager, that's a little different, right? You're still going to be an individual contributor, but you don't really manage people. You manage a project. So that is a little different. Um, so right, if you're, for those of you that are looking to go into the science, you should not be looking to go into a managerial role where you manage other people right away. Um, that's something that comes with climbing the corporate ladder. If you're, in, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff. All right, good to know. Um, so Sherry, how did you know that your job was the right fit for you? So I didn't to start with. Um, I switched industries. I switched a couple of jobs. Um, something you can do. You can choose the wrong thing and realize it and go into something else. I realized pretty quickly that I like working with teams and managing projects. Uh, and, and that was really the role I wanted to get into. So when I, I, two years into my company, I talked to my manager about it and I was asked, how do I get to that? How do I take that path that way? So 
you know, you might not find the right job at first, but if you keep trying new things, you'll eventually fall into the right role. So now I'm in the right role. Thanks for sharing that. It's good to keep in mind that the first job is not always going to be the right one and that's okay. So Nicole, how did you know that your job was the right fit for you? So my story is a little bit different because I was in grad school and I was studying nanoscience and then I decided that I didn't want to be like a wet lab researcher anymore and so I left my PhD program with a master's and was like I'm going to be a data scientist with minimal data science training I had taken the a training program at UW for researchers so I did have some I had the good baseline but you know that was about it and I really wanted to become a data scientist probably because I was really interested in it at that point, because I had just learned it, you know? And so I, I was looking for jobs, but I didn't, I really, I didn't want to stray too far away from chemical engineering or, you know, like um, the chemical engineering side of science, if you will. And so when I saw Beyond Limits was hiring, it seemed like the perfect fit because they were tackling problems that involved chemical engineering, right? They were looking at refineries and oil wells and power plants and things like that. So it was still more on the engineering side of things as opposed to a data scientist role that was, you know, focused on user data, for example. Um, so that was what really got me excited about Beyond Limits. And then they were also equally excited that I was a data scientist that had chemical engineering, uh, had a chemical engineering background um, because they were looking for people that kind of had a good mix of both. So that's how I knew. Good to hear another realistic story that, you know, even if you go into a PhD program, it's okay to just get a master's. <laughs> like, that's fine too. Yeah, glad you found was right for you. Um, now that we've um, talked about your job, what kind of education was actually needed for your position? Christine, can you start? Yeah, um, I think this one always makes me laugh because I feel like the roles that I've had could be done by anyone <laughs> who's reasonably intelligent and can pick things up quickly. Um, I think anybody can, you know, everybody brings their own um, strengths and backgrounds to the table. So, I, I think for me, I got a PhD because I vaguely was thinking I would want to do some sort of research and development type of a role. And generally, it's very useful to have a PhD to do it. Um, that being said, I think most people end up doing like, end up working in fields that are not really related to their PhDs anyways. Um, but I would say it was a good it was it was good training for me personally, but I don't think that it's something that everybody needs. Um, yeah, even out of my bachelor's, um, my first job was also at Northrop Grumman, but in a different part of the company as a systems engineer. And kind of what struck me then was like. I could have done this job out of high school, but I guess it sounds good that I have bachelors. So that's kind of my take on it. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, now being in a PhD program, I also kind of feel like I went into it because, you know, I liked research and it was the natural <laughs> sequence of things, but, um, you know, I didn't fully understand what it meant to do a PhD and I'm glad you shared that. So Eric, what about you? What level of education did you need for your position? So for, I think for in my role is that most everyone in my role has a PhD. You're ex um, mostly expected to have a PhD be in my role. And I think, right, the, when you, a lot of people, when they say, at least for me, is that, you know, a lot of the stuff I learned in my PhD on the technical side don't apply to what I do now. But the, you know, if you, in the PhD, a lot of it is kind of developing a project, seeing a project through learning to spot kind of where the data leads you and, you know, where the things you need to look out for, right? So that I think if you think about it in the way that a PhD teaches you how to think and the technical skills are more of a secondary thing that you just kind of need to get your foot in the door, um, that's kind of what differentiates, at least for us, for the more senior staff from the more junior staff. So while for the most part at my level, we tend to hire fresh PhDs, um, there's not, there's nothing prohibiting, you know, some of our junior staff from getting to that level in our organization. It's just that um, it's not something that we do as much kind of that on the job training um, in terms of, you know, getting people to that point where they're able to um, kind of be more leaders in their, on their projects um, type of thing. So it's not, you know, not prohibitive if you don't have a PhD, but it's generally most of our new hires um, into the role are PhDs, mostly just on, on, your, on your kind of your thinking and your kind of your pro, uh, project management type skills versus your actual technical abilities. Yeah, I would agree that even just being in a PhD program now, it's definitely challenged my writing skills, project management skills, um, and just thinking process. So, um, that makes sense that that's what you would be looking for out of PhDs. Um, so Sherry, can you share what level of education was needed for your position? Yeah, so um, it's a little hard to answer because you can get to my position in a bunch of different ways. Um, experience is, is what gets you to be a project engineer, project manager. Um, so you can start out with just the bachelor's, but it's gonna take you more time to get there. Um, I went to go get my master's, so I got there a little bit quicker. Um, if you get a PhD, you'll, you'll get there even faster. It's just, um, it's a mix of education and experience. And I will say that one other thing is that if you're gonna be a project engineer in a consulting field, you're probably gonna end up getting your PE license. So that means that you should take your EIT when you are in school so that you can get that PE quicker because that'll help. But so yeah, there's not like a specific degree you need. It's just a mix of degree and experience. Good tip about the exam. Um, okay, great. Um, Nicole, what about you? Yeah, there's a, a bunch of different paths that you can take to become a data scientist. Um, but I think the majority of data scientists that I've been exposed to have either masters or PhDs kind of leaning more skewed towards the PhD side of things. And I think that is mainly because of what Eric was talking about is hidden his answer as well as that a PhD teaches you to think like a scientist, right? And really 
have that research mindset, which is pretty critical if you're to be a data scientist. Um, but I caution that with there's a, there's many different ways to get that mindset right and to learn those research skills. I obviously didn't get a PhD. Does that make me less of a data scientist than someone that did? I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's really hindering my career. But I am a different type of data scientist. Maybe um, you know we have data scientists in our organization that are really developing new models and really on the cutting edge of things, but they don't necessarily talk to clients as much as I do or like form solutions as much as I do. So it's difficult to say because data science is such a, it's such a broad field right now. And it, data scientist is such a broad title that eventually I think will be distilled down into more um, specific titles that then might make more sense to have more education versus um, less education for each of those different subtitles. Um, but yeah, I'd say in general, it's less about the education and more about having that research mindset. Yeah, that's good to know. And a good point that, you know, you can get those skills as well from other experiences. So uh, I was wondering, um, did you guys do an internship and how important is an internship in your line of work? Christine? Yeah, so I've never done an internship. <laughs> um, in undergrad, uh, in the summers, I would do summer research. Um, and that's honestly kind of what led me in the PhD direction because I did enjoy research. Um, so obviously it's not required, but I think, you know, similarly to what Eric was saying earlier, what's like the most difficult step is typically getting your foot in the door. Um, so I think by doing an internship, it is a good way to be able to make those first connections because I would say personally, I've always found job hunting to be very difficult because when you apply online, it kind of just goes into a black hole. And then, you know, you send out a hundred resumes online and everybody ignores you. Um, so I think that's a real strength of um, doing an internship. And I think also it gives you kind of a sense of what working life is. Um, and I think for some of my friends in grad school, they decided to take internships just because they wanted to have a break from grad school. And I think that's a totally valid reason as well. So I would say it, even though I never did one and that hasn't really hindered me. I would say it has its merits and it's definitely kind of a matter of figuring out if that's what you want to do or not. Right, it's good to know that you can get there without it, um, but that it is useful if you can get one, it can be hard. <laughs> um, so Eric, can you share if you had an internship and how important you think they are? Well, I'm like Christine, I've never done an internship. I did the same research fellowships in undergrad for all three summers. <laughs> yeah, when I, yeah, so it's, you know, it's not important. I think they're willing to accept, the, you know, the companies are willing to accept you if you demonstrate that you, you know, you're competent and you're willing to learn and that you're going to be able to pick up, right? That's kind of the big thing is that if you can convince them that you're willing to and able to pick up that function quickly, right? They're more likely to take a chance on you. But if you have that experience, it can be really helpful. A lot of my coworkers have actually interned at Amgen before um, joining Amgen as full-time employees. And, you know, they're, 
they're able to get up to speed a little faster, right? So that's kind of another demonstration of that, you know, you're able to, you're going to be able to come in and be a contributor right away. So that's, I think, in my opinion, that's kind of the angle of that internship um, that you can use um, to help you in that job application process. But um, again, this speaks more at the PhD level than um, some of the, our junior staff, I don't know. Um, but at the PhD level, it's not, um, you know, a barrier to entry. Right. Um, and then Sherry, how important is an internship in your field and did you do one? So yeah, I did, I did an internship. I did an internship with the company I work with um, and I'm pretty sure that's how I got the job. So um, I would say, uh, I can't give an exact percentage, but at the majority of people we hire are interns first. Um, and that's just, I think, consulting maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it's a good idea to get an internship first if you're gonna go try and get into the consulting industry for sure. Yeah, that's really good to know. It seems like getting your foot in the door is really important there, so. Yeah, you make connections and that's, that's how you get the job. Yeah, that makes sense. So Nicole, what about you? Did you do an internship and how important do you think it is? So I didn't do an internship with Beyond Limits or a data science internship, but I did do an internship when I was in undergrad for an environmental engineering company. And that's when I discovered that I did not want to be an environmental engineer. <laughs> so I definitely see the merit in doing internships to kind of suss out what you're interested in and what you're not interested in. Um, and then, you know, now working at Beyond Limits, we have a really great internship program and a good hunk of our hires come out of our internship program. So I have to second what Sherry was saying that it's a, it's a great way to network and um, kind of get your foot in the door at a company that you want to work at. So I think they're super valuable. Yeah, of course. And I'll echo that internships will be great just to know whether or not something is the right fit for you. I mean, just experiences in general, um, you know, whether it's research um, or an internship, I think is great to know if you like that field. Yeah, just to add to that, to what Nicole just said, um, I definitely did an internship in undergrad at a wastewater treatment plant and decided that I did not want to do that as well. So again, really good idea so you can try things out. Right. Um, so, you know, since we're talking about advice, what advice uh, do you want to leave our students with who may be interested in your field? Uh, Christine, can you start? Um, I feel like that question is always really difficult because I feel like I have to say something super insightful. I'll turn to the question. Um, what uh, can students do now to prepare or what would you recommend? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll echo what's been said earlier, which is kind of that it's okay to start out with something you don't like and then go from there and try to figure out what it is you do and don't like. Um, and so I would just say right now, just think about, I think for me when I was in school, especially when I was taking classes, it was kind of just about getting through all the material. And it wasn't so much about like, I like doing this, or I don't like doing this, or I like this part, but not that part. Um, so I would say kind of try to dig in and explore some of those feelings a little bit. And 
think about like what areas you're actually interested in working more in and what areas you're actually interested in spending your time on. Um, and yeah, there's, it's okay if you make a decision and then you don't really like the outcome because then you can always pivot and figure out something new. Yes, definitely. Eric, what advice would you like to share? So I was going to say what Christine said, but so I'm going to say something else instead. Um, but basically, the, when you're looking at the job application process or that job hunting process, the number one thing that we kind of see lacking in candidates is their communication skills, right? The entire application process is an exercise in communication, right? Your resume or how you write your CV, how you write your cover letter is an exercise in written communication. How you interview, even the HR interview, right? The HR person doesn't is not super technical, right? That's how you communicate with HR. And then when you have the manager interview, it's how you talk to the manager, how you talk about your science, how you talk about your work, right? Everyone who gets an interview is already is already technically qualified for the job. So that's the big thing, right? As soon as you get that phone interview, you're already technically qualified for the job. But what sets people apart is their ability to communicate and to think through problems, right? So you could try to brag about all your technical skills all you want during the interview, but right, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot about you. So really focus on how you communicate, how you present yourself, how you present, um, especially for PhDs when you give your talk, research talk um, for the onsite interviews, how you convey that information, right? So a lot of that is kind of what is not really focused on as much during the PhD or even in school in general is how you talk to people, how you communicate information. So what I would say is, especially for PhD students and then um, grad students in general is that if you have opportunities to present in group meeting, right, present. It's not about, you know, the all the content that you present, but it's how you present that to your group, how you present that to your PI. And then, you know, if you're kind of in a group project and they're looking for people to volunteer to present, right, put your hand up. It's just an opportunity for you to learn how to communicate what you know to other people. So that's kind of the big thing I want to, you know, kind of get across on that job, uh, that job hunting process. That's really great advice that communication is always going to be important wherever you go um, and you know your audience, especially when you're interviewing or applying. So thanks for sharing that. Sherry, do you have any advice that you'd like to share? I mean, those were two really good ones. That's really hard to follow. Um, I was going to say both of those things too. So now coming up with something kind of similar, but a little bit different. Um, I would just emphasize the importance of networking. Uh, that That's really important, especially in my fields, but I think in other fields as well, that you wanna build connections. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a networking event. Like your, the peers you have in class now are going to be people working in your industry later. You wanna keep those connections, your professors, um, any internships you have, you wanna keep those connections and, and follow up with those people. So just kind of practicing your networking skills and, and keep those relationships because they can be helpful in the future. Right. You can never forget how important networking is. That's great advice. Uh, Nicole, what about you? Any so last hard. words? So hard to follow up because you guys already said all of the good stuff. Um, but I'll be maybe a little bit more specific. Like if you're interested in going into data science or a field that's slightly outside of chemical engineering. Um, what I did was I leveraged that chemical engineering background and you know said, hey, this is what sets me apart from other data scientists is I know engineering. 
<laughs> you know, and so if you to be a little more specific, if you wanted to go into a data science field, if that was something you were interested in, then look for jobs that that do data science within fields that you're interested in or that you already have technical skills in, because that will set you apart in a data science interview um, from from other data scientists, because there's so many people that are learning data science right now. Um, it's hard to set yourself apart just from your data science skills necessarily, but use whatever other background you have, whether it be chemical engineering or some other engineering or just other interests or passions um, that will set you apart in the interview. Right, that's a great one. Um, so yeah, I wanna say real quick, that kind of yeah. gets to the one question that was asked in the chat um, of, you know, why do you get into chemical engineering, right? Chemical engineering kind of affords you that opportunity to do a lot more kind of connecting of, you know, your academic work together like all your different subjects and all that versus compared to some of the other um disciplines out there did we want to go through that one question in the chat there yeah i also think it's kind of funny for me um coming out of high school i was like oh i like chemistry and i like engineering so this would be a good intersection of the two <laughs> so that i would say that didn't really turn out to be true, but um, what I do like is that, and I, I think it makes chemical engineering also very difficult, is that it's very broad and very broadly applicable. Um, so, you know, as you can see, we're, we are all chemical engineering, but then we have incredibly different job roles. So I think that's something that I liked about it. Um, I would say the coursework wasn't always amazing, but but definitely just the overall learning experience of like, here's hard problems, how do you solve them? Um, I think that's ultimately what I got out of it. Yeah, but thanks for sharing that, Christine. Um, so uh, Sherry, can you share why did you go into chemical engineering? No, my answer is like almost identical. I, I loved chemistry in high school and I was like, oh, well, this would be a practical way to use chemistry. Um, and then I kind of was just stubborn and decided that I really wanted to get the degree. <laughs> it got really hard. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I did chemical engineering because I really liked chemistry. I still do. I still use it, uh, but not quite to the extent I think that possibly others on the panel do, uh, and then just kept with it. Uh, and it also, it is really broad. It is crazy that we all got chemical engineering degrees and we are so varied. So that's great, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Chemical engineering is so um, versatile and can be applied in so many different fields. Um, so it's great to have so many represented today. Um, Nicole, why did you go into chemical engineering? Yeah, I was just gonna say, didn't we all go into chemical engineering because we liked math and chemistry in high school? <laughs> and then we found out what chemical engineering really was. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, very similar story. When I was in high school, I didn't know any chemical engineers. I grew up in Montana, so not have much exposure to engineering in general, but I was like, oh, chemistry and math and science, love it all, let's go, chemical engineering. 
Um, <laughs> then I guess I stayed in it because I'm a very indecisive person and it is such a broad field that you can take the skills that you learn in chemical engineering and apply them to so many different fields. You know, I think one of my professors said that chemical engineering, you know, sure, we learn all how to solve all these really hard problems and we learn all these great technical skills. But one of the best things that chemical engineering teaches you is to view things as the, the whole system, you know, you're not just looking at one little part, you're looking at a whole system. And that can be applied in so many different industries, right? Whether that system is on the nanoscale or whether it's on, you know, an industrial refinery scale, applying that whole system view to whatever job you're in is something that's really valuable that chemical engineers bring to the table. Yeah, I guess maybe I also didn't know what chemical engineering was either when I got into it. So um, outreach is super important so we can educate others. Um, right, so there's one more question in the chat. Um, we can just quickly try to uh, get into it. So. Christine, what kinds of experiences or skills are valuable to get before graduating and the most helpful in your job search? Um, so I would say something that was really useful for me was being involved in student orgs. Um, so similarly to Belinda, and I worked with Belinda a lot on this, I, I was the president of uh, the Materials Research Society. So just figuring out how to get funding for our org and then figuring out like who the right person to talk to was to and pull on the right strings. I think those were a lot of soft skills that I, I think they're really valuable because especially at a school like USC, I think there are a lot of resources where there's money set aside for, you know, students to go ahead and like pitch something and then get funding. Um, and I think before I was really involved in that capacity, it, it seemed very opaque. So I think that was probably one of the more interesting experiences I got. Yeah, um, I'm so glad that we went through that together. <laughs> because it can be tough to learn about how like administration kind of works and how to navigate that. So I would echo that getting involved in clubs is a great experience. Um, and you can get involved in Wikipedia on our website if you like. But anyway, um, Eric, what kinds of experiences or skills would you recommend getting for graduating for your job search? So aside from the whole communication thing and, you know, putting yourself out there, uh, I guess another way of putting yourself out there is to always try new things, whether it's, at, you know, in your personal life or in your professional life, academic life, whatever it is, uh, because you're always going to be doing new things in industry. Even if you're in the same role, you're always going to be doing new things and you're going to be learning new skills, talking to new people. Um, so if you're, you know, you might want to look at your, look at yourself and say, you know, am I willing to do new things? Like, even if it's just personally, um, you try new things even if you don't know what's going to happen and if you kind of have that willingness to be open to um, you know kind of the unknown that's going to be really useful in kind of your professional career right that's interesting and um i would agree that it's good to be curious um in your field to learn more 
So Sherry, um, what experiences or skills would you recommend getting before graduating for your job search? Oh man, um, I think we said the majority of them. I, I would just reiterate the communications, networking, being involved in, in different groups like Wiki, you can get exposure and experience with public speaking and writing. Those, those things are things that you're gonna use in any job. So really those soft skills are really important to do in addition to your classwork. Right, uh, Nicole, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, the, all the soft skills definitely are important. And the biggest one I'd say, just to reiterate, is communication. And for me, I did um, I did a lot of kind of teaching experiences when I was both in undergrad. I was a supplemental instructor, so I kind of like got out of my comfort zone and helped, you know, teach other undergrads physics at that point. Um, but, and then I, I continued that into grad school by doing a ton of outreach and things like that. And just, you know, being in kind of a teaching role in general, whether, you know, super lightweight teaching is what I'm talking about, or like, you know, an outreach events, things like that, that teaches you to communicate well. And it teaches you to uh, describe what you're, communicate what you're trying to communicate in multiple different ways, especially when it's a technical, um, a technical problem or a technical thing that you're trying to communicate. Um, which I think has been one of the most valuable things because then if you can't communicate it one way, if you have a different way in your mind of how I can communicate this so that my listener understands what I'm trying to say, that's one of the most valuable communication techniques, I think, in my book. Yeah, um, it's really important to get those experiences for sure. So uh, I think with that, we'll wrap up the panel. Thanks so much, everyone. It was wonderful speaking with you all. Yeah, thank you guys. You did a good job organizing. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks for having us. It was great speaking with everyone. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> this is a fun evening. Thanks everyone. To our listeners, stay tuned for our next podcast. You can submit questions on Twitter with hashtag Let's Talk wiki usc or by email to wiki usc at gmail.com for more information check out our website at wiki usc.com from all of us at wiki thanks for listening